I think that the U.S. will be well positioned and better positioned than many others to do well over the next multi-year period of time. If anything, the poor stock market performance over the last several months has given investors something of a better entry point than they would have had at the end of 2021. She identifies the emerging winners and losers. Abby Joseph Cohen is on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Are you feeling at all overwhelmed by the pace and degree of change we are experiencing in the world, the economy, the markets, life in general? Well, there is a breakdown in the post-World War II political and economic order with profound changes in military and economic power. Russia's invasion of Ukraine and weaponizing its energy supply is a glaring example. The underpinnings of globalization, more open and peaceful trade of goods, services, jobs, and investments throughout the world are deteriorating. Decades of declining interest rates and slowing inflation, easy and abundant money, especially in the developed world, are reversing. As we have covered in several recent WealthTrack episodes, there appears to be a new world order emerging, which would call for new investment approaches. But what will the new order look like and how lasting the changes and what are the best investment responses? Well, this week's guest has the breadth, knowledge, and experience to tackle all of those questions and more. She is a longtime investment rock star who has never lost her influence or cool. She is Abby Joseph Cohen, now a professor at Columbia Business School, teaching the popular and oversubscribed Future of the Global Economy course, which she has been doing as an adjunct professor since 2014. Joseph Cohen recently retired from Goldman Sachs after a three-decade-plus career where she was a partner filling multiple leadership roles. Most recently, she was advisory director and senior investment strategist. For six years, she was president of the firm's Global Markets Institute, and before that, its chief investment strategist, where she became one of the most influential individuals on Wall Street. She is a regular member of Barron's annual roundtable and one of its 100 most influential women in U.S. finance. And she continues to be sought after as a speaker and advisor because of her unerring professionalism, consistently thorough research, both quantitative and fundamental, experience, open mind, and integrity. I'm delighted she is with us to discuss the contours of the new world order. What does she consider to be the most consequential change? One of the biggest changes in recent years is something that began to appear more than a year ago, and that has to do with the flattening out of inflation and interest rates. We went three, through a three to four decade period in which inflation was under incredibly good control and interest rates not only moved to zero, in some countries, they went negative. Right. And that has changed. That has enormous consequences for economic growth, and it has enormous consequences for financial markets as well. And do you think this reversal is going to be a long-term trend? I certainly do. We went through almost 40 years in which we went from extraordinarily high inflation and extraordinarily high interest rates to levels that were, in some cases, too low. 
when it came to interest rates. And so I think this first phase of this upward movement in interest rates is just getting us back to where we should have been. And then, of course, over the next year, two, three, we will see what happens in terms of whether global economic growth and pressures, including on commodity prices, push us to higher levels of inflation, which of course would mean even higher interest rates. The enormous ramifications uh, for us as both citizens and also as investors, what are the biggest uh, ramifications of this I, reversal? I think the biggest implication is for now in the financial markets because bonds were mispriced, number one, and the cost of capital overall was mispriced. For many borrowers, money was free. And when money is free, it gets misallocated. And I think we had many situations in which that occurred. So for example, whether it was companies investing in things perhaps that didn't have particularly good returns, or perhaps it was households undertaking debt that they can't afford on a long-term basis, Maybe governments were doing the same thing as well. And then, of course, within the financial markets themselves, some of the more sophisticated products that depended upon leverage, but leverage that was free, some of those products don't really hang together as well. So what I believe will be happening and has already begun is that this rise in interest rates, even though it's from exceedingly low levels, and interest rates are still low, they're just not as low as they were, this by itself has implications for the financial markets, much more so than directly on the economy itself. On the economy, the interest rates that matter so much are things like consumer rates for mortgages, consumer rates for cars, and so on. And while this may change, at least thus far, we have not seen much of a diminution of demand for either housing or autos, even though interest rates have moved up. But is there not a lag effect? I believe there will be a yeah. lagged effect. Um, if we take a look, however, at the history of affordability and so on, uh, it would appear that it is more so the prices of these assets, the prices of the homes, the prices of the cars, more so than the cost of the credit associated with it that will make the difference. Abby, there, there's been a lot of uh, criticism of the Federal Reserve of being way behind the curve in, uh, in you know, raising interest rates. And you were an economist at the Federal Reserve yourself at, at the beginning of your career. So what's your uh, analysis of, of where the Fed is, of whether it's behind the curve or where it should be? This is the year that not just the Fed, but other central banks around the world are going to start tightening things up. Um, so it's not just the Fed, but other central banks wanted to err on the side of providing too much stimulus. Mm -hmm. Because keep in mind, no one was sure what the longer-term economic consequences of the pandemic would be. And in the United States, as one example, the Federal Reserve provided a great deal of stimulus to enhance demand. And that is really the crux of the issue that they're dealing with now. Because that recession that we experienced in early 2020, when the pandemic first struck, was very severe. But it turned out to be short-lived. Right. We bounced out of it rather quickly, and yet we were continuing to provide stimulus to demand. Now, 
the Fed has a very difficult problem to deal with because the impact of the pandemic was so uneven. And so when people now say the Fed is behind the curve, it's often something that uh, is 2020 hindsight. <laughs> um, at the time the Fed was making these policy decisions, I think no one knew, no economist, no economic decision maker, be they corporate or household, really knew uh, what the aggregate impact was going to be on the intermediate to long term with regard to the pandemic. I would point out that many people criticized in the financial markets, criticized the Fed for not doing enough at the time. And right. so now there's criticism that they've done too much. <laughs> um, they're gonna do more as far as tightening conditions. Where should we be? What, what is, you know, everyone's talking about the normalization of interest rates. Well, what does normalization look like uh, at this particular point of time? There are two ways I'd like to look at it, Consuelo. Number one, normalization in which we look at things like core rate of inflation and so on. Um, and as I mentioned earlier on, I do think that interest rates got very, very low. Right. Uh, and now they are just very low. Um, so they may move uh, somewhat higher. But the other thing that's so important to recognize is that this is a Federal Reserve that has, in fact, important signals from the marketplace. Intermediate and long interest rates have already moved up. So in some ways, it is the Fed already taking its cues from the signals uh, from the marketplace. How concerned are you about a Fed-induced recession? Um, I am not as concerned as other people. Mm -hmm. Now, I would say that just given how erratic things have been in 2022 and all of the unexpected things that have already occurred, including the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, it's important to be humble. Um, and I wouldn't rule out uh, a recession, but I don't think it's the most likely scenario. Um, I would basically say that this is a Fed that is incredibly attentive uh, and one that has been driven by the data. Uh, they will be watching very carefully if they believe the U.S. economy is slowing down and slowing down too rapidly, which I'll define in just a moment, uh -huh. then I believe that they can, if not reverse course, at least stop and wait and see the impact of what they've already done. Now, what does the Fed want to accomplish? Yes, they would like inflation to move lower. They recognize they don't have control over headline CPI, which is often driven by factors uh, that will go up and down in a very volatile fashion, but they do look at the core inflation numbers. That's what they'll be looking at, things like the core rate of inflation in PCE, which is personal consumption expenditures. But they also have two goals in mind. It's not just keeping inflation under control and making sure our currency is robust, but also looking at economic growth and employment. Mm -hmm. um, and right now, uh, this is a Fed that says the labor markets are looking much, much better. And let's keep in mind that for that first year of pandemic, the labor markets were really hurting. And even after two years, even though the unemployment rate was down, there were still almost two million missing jobs in the United States. So this is a Fed that is looking to accomplish two things. Number one, do the right thing for growth and jobs, but also do it keeping inflation under the best control as possible. 
how bad do you think inflation is going to get? People, you know, some people are saying it's going to possibly get as bad as the 70s. I mean, we had, you know, an inflation rate that was at a 40-year high. I think the 1970s will not prove to be a good analogy uh, for okay. what we're experiencing. You know, to get to the inflation data that we had in the 1970s, we had 10 years of incredibly stimulative policy, um, uh, fiscal policy and monetary policy. Uh, we also had embedded in labor contracts and embedded in industrial contracts uh, inflation escalator clauses. Mm -hmm. uh, so once inflation started to move up, it just got embedded um, into the decision-making processes. There was very little pushback uh, against it. And then, of course, there was the OPEC oil embargo. Right, the Arab oil embargo. Mm -hmm. Right, which led to an enormous increase in costs, uh, not just in the United States, but throughout, uh, throughout the global economy. I don't see the current situation along those lines. 2022 has been a really rough year so far for the financial markets. So what's your view of market valuations right now with the stock market and the bond market? So what we have seen has been a return to some semblance of more appropriate valuations right now. Uh, clearly in the fixed income market, also in the equity market. Um, we like to look, of course, at things that are not just price-driven, but also related to fundamentals. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big questions for investors right now is, well, prices have come down, but what's the new P.E. ratio? Do we really know what earnings are uh, because of all the volatility in the economy as well? All I can state with some certainty is the valuations are much more appealing now than they were even three or four months ago. What about rebalancing from the winners of the last decade to the laggards? So, for instance, from you know growth to value, what you call stable growers, or from large cap to small cap, or from domestic U.S. to international. Should we be rebalancing our portfolios right now? Given the volatility of global equity markets, we are seeing those sorts of rotations, and then we're seeing them reversed. Um, and, and so it's not quite clear that we can prove yet uh, that there is that kind of rotation. So I always go back to the valuations. If we take a look at where the highest valuations, not values, highest valuations were, that is the highest P-E ratios, for example, the technology stocks and right. the other growth names were selling at such extraordinary gaps in P-E multiple over the P-E multiples of stable growers. We had never seen that sort of gap. Over the last month or two, that sort of gap has narrowed dramatically. The other thing that has been so interesting to watch and disturbing in a way has been what is going on in Europe and the Asian markets. While American investors are focused on how badly the U.S. equity market has performed, the performance has been worse elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And there are fundamental reasons for that. First, in Europe, it's fairly obvious that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is enormously disruptive right. uh, in so many different ways. Uh, I almost feel badly just talking about economic growth when lives are, are on the line right. uh, and, and so on. But what we, we see is that the European economies, which were beginning to show an emergence from the worst part of the pandemic 
at the end of 2021 may in fact be moving back uh, in the wrong direction. Mm. And those equity markets are responding in that way. The Asian markets are dealing with another issue, uh, and that is the resurgence of COVID in China. Um, Whereas most of the developed economies uh, have seen vaccination rates rise and the percentage of population with some antibody protection, um, uh, either because of vaccine or because there has already been illness, uh, China doesn't have that. Um, and the Chinese reliance on their Sinopharm vaccine, which has a very low efficacy rate, means that they are now again relying on lockdown. And it would appear that there are some substantial portions of the Chinese economy that may already be in recession. This has implications not just for China, but for the global supply chain. And so one of the unknowns out there for all of us is whether we will experience in the other developed economies like the US yet another round of supply chain disruption. Um, and uh, the answer is not sure yet. Abby, winners and losers in the new world order. Well, if you allow me to take an intermediate to long-term view. Yes. Uh, because with all humility, I'm not quite sure what happens uh, in the coming uh, weeks and months. But intermediate to long-term, um, I have to believe that the U.S. equity market is a good place to be. Uh, and the reasons really fall into several categories. Number one, our economy remains the global leader. We have, if anything, established increased primacy um, over the last year or two in terms of how quickly we have snapped back from the pandemic. And also some of the policy changes that were made. While there's a lot of criticism about the short-term stimulus from Fed policy and so on, there have been some sensible things done with regard to long-term fiscal policy, including the big increase in infrastructure spending. Mm -hmm. So I think that's incredibly important and will help lead to better economic growth in the future. It's not just government spending, it's investment in the future. So when I take a look at the U.S. economy, I think that the U.S. will be well positioned and better positioned than many others to do well over the next multi-year period of time. If anything, the poor stock market performance over the last several months has given investors something of a better entry point than they would have had at the end of 2021. So again, I'm not trying to make a market call, right. but basically saying that if you're looking for long-term growth, the U.S. Is, is a good place to be. I might previously have spent time talking about where within the U.S. economy you want to be uh, allocated. Um, I think that right now, uh, valuation is in some ways, valuation leadership is up for grabs. Mm -hmm. And it's so volatile, I, I hate to comment on it at this point. The U.S. index fund probably, uh, if you can't really know how this is all going to sort out, might be a, a good way to, to, to go. Um, as far as that, the winners, if the U.S. are concerned, um, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I'm, that's what I'm inferring from your comment. I, I, uh, think, I think you can infer that, and much, of yeah. course, will depend upon the time horizon of the investor. Well, which leads me to long-term diversified uh, investment. We have this one investment question we always ask everyone. So if there's one investment we should all have in a long-term diversified portfolio, and you and I both have grandchildren, 
So in our, with our young grandchildren, if you were to set up a little account for them, what would be something that they should have in a diversified portfolio? Well, I never over-personalize it, uh, but rather think about where the best performance opportunities will be. Right. And I, I do believe that equities um, are the place to be. I think that this multi-decade period in which fixed income performed well is over. Um, and instead, I would rather be exposed to economic growth, whether it's in the United States or outside the United States. Um, I, for one, believe that while the globalization pattern has changed, there will be opportunities in other nations as well. But for now, I think the U.S. is uh, the place that I'd like to focus. As a you know, star strategist on Wall Street um, and using both fundamental and quantitative analysis, uh, you call yourself a reformed quant. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I, I used to be heavily into the quantitative approaches, that is, letting the data and the models drive most of right. the decision making. But the reality is that those models are just a starting point uh, because we know that valuation models, for example, are not timing devices. Uh, assets, including overall markets, that are overpriced can become even more overpriced. And something that may be more relevant now is that markets which are underpriced, undervalued, can become more so. So it really becomes a question of which way do you think the fundamentals will be driving and how is it priced? You can have something that is a wonderful story, but if all the good news is already priced in, be careful. On the other hand, you could have a pretty gloomy story and lots of concerns, as many investors have right now. But if that ugly scenario is already priced in, history tells us that's where the best opportunities typically lie. At one point, you told me that assessing geopolitical risk was really not part of your toolbox. Um, and how much a part of your toolbox is it now, is looking at regime risk, for instance, and geopolitical risk? A few years ago, uh, there was a great book written um, about black swans in yes. the financial market. Nassim Taleb. Right. And that wonderful book suggested that black swans shouldn't really happen that often. Well, we've now had two big ones in the course of two years. First, of course, the uh, terrible COVID uh, situation. Right. Uh, and then the Russian invasion of Ukraine. One was something that was out of most of our analytical toolboxes because it had to do with pandemic. It had to do with biomedical processes that we didn't quite understand. And the other has to do with the geopolitics of what happens um, when a military power uh, decides to assert itself in a way that may or may not make rational economic sense may make rational military sense or political sense, but it doesn't fit into the economic policy making. Um, and I think that these two black swans over a short period of time have made us all much more humble uh, about realizing that we can't rely just on the economic data. We can't rely just on the modeling. We have to, have to keep our eyes open in terms of saying, what else is going on? How might it affect us? and afflict us. 
Um, and we are learning incredible lessons right now. I think that the younger generation of investors now, be they professional or individual, are learning uh, to be much more circumspect about assumptions. Uh, they're learning to be much more inclusive in terms of where they get information from. And I think many of them are also learning to be intermediate or much longer term in nature. Mm -hmm. Because it's over that long term that the fundamentals of economics and valuation will drive home uh, performance. In the short run, we never really sure. Abby, so lovely to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on WealthTrack. My pleasure. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is review what's in your portfolio. 2022 has seen a reversal of fortune for big tech and other growth stocks, which have been battered, and a boost in fortune for energy and other cyclical stocks, which have been lifted. Despite these changes, most portfolios are probably still underweight energy, industrial companies, and the value stocks that Joseph Cohen calls stable growers. It's worth checking to see if your portfolio could use some adjusting to take advantage of the new reality of higher levels of inflation and interest rates. Well, next week, understanding the new energy crisis with energy expert Tom Petrie, what it means for energy supplies, security, and investments. In this week's extra feature, Abby Joseph Cohen describes how she has transitioned from Wall Street guru to business school professor. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks so much for watching. Have a wonderful Mother's Day weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.